Welcome back to Two Mamas and a Mustard Seed. I am one of your hosts, Renee Rethel. Today, Kisa and I continue our conversation with Jonah Joyner as we talk about workplace and self-care. Jonah is a wellness expert who's spoken around the country and has also been featured in Parents Magazine. Okay, so in Austin Channing Brown's book, um, we just talked about it, she also discusses questions people of color can ask organizations that claim to not have biases and value diversity. So two questions, Jonah, do you think people of color should get a clear picture on where organizations stand in that regard? Or should that be less of a priority if the job description, like you just said, is well suited for that person? Should they ask the question? Yeah. Should they should they be clear on that before taking a position at the company on where they stand in this regard? Or should that be less of a priority versus the job if it's well suited for them? I don't think the job can be well suited for them if they are unable to be themselves at work. Uh, you know, it, you can do anything for a little while, but that's when you start to see that revolving door of talent, especially of your, you know, minoritized talent, because, you know, People, people leave, generally people leave managers versus companies or, or supervisors, right? Because your supervisor is your direct line of contact um, and, and someone that you experience generally every day. So if there are microaggressions or micro insults, et cetera, that you experience as a result of your work team or with your direct supervisor, that's why people leave organizations, and especially when we're talking about someone who is, you know, minoritized, who's not of the in or the dominant group. So, yes, you can you can join an organization um, because you think the job is well suited for you. But what is that environment like? Right now we're now we we have more of a capacity and interest to talk about workplace wellness and to talk about psychological safety at work because we've realized that how important those things are. How much you get your salary and your position and your title is is not the only they are not the only driving factors anymore. And they're not going to keep your top talent at an organization. That's just not it's not enough anymore. Right. So you do have to think about um, so organizations have to think about employee well-being and then the individual themselves has to think about what their experience is going to be. Now, of course, people people are going to do whatever they feel like they have to do to support their families. So there are plenty of people who still, right, will take a job that is toxic, um, that creates, you know, crazy amounts of stress that probably even puts them on some some sort of medication just to be able to go to work every day and to get that paycheck. So, yes, there will absolutely be people that will continue to do that because they feel like they have to, right, to support their families. That shouldn't be the standard. It, It just shouldn't be that way anymore. And I think organizations are slowly becoming more aware of that and slowly realizing the importance of the workplace wellness that we're talking about and employee well-being. And and you're starting to see those changes happen. Um, But, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a slow burn, but I think we'll continue to see more and more companies prioritizing that. Yeah. So that leads me to this. I saw a headline the other day and I didn't read into it because you know motherhood you know how that does and I think my child (laughs) as I was seeing this article I think my child is mama anyway but the headline was I need to go back and find it America's obsession with race I don't know if you all saw this and I the 
the subhead under it was something along the lines of, we are talking about it all the time, almost as if we're talking about it too much. And when I saw the headline, I was like, hmm, this has got to be written by a white person. And then I had the mama in my ear and I had to walk away from the computer. So Jonah, what do you think about that? Are we talking about it too much in general? Are we talking about too much in the workplace? Give us the give us the real deal on this one. So, okay, real deal. Um, black people talk about race all the time. <laughs> Again, it's like we we don't really have a choice not to, you know, because of just our different experiences and and you know how how, how we how we walk and navigate through life. Um, race is always very very close to the forefront, if not the forefront, all the time because we do live in a racialized society. We we often hear, you know, people of the majority, you know, white folks say, we're, we're, we're always talking about racism. White, black people talk about racism too much. But at the end of the day, how you see me, you see me as a black woman, right? You see me as different from you. So just that alone is racial. <laughs> it doesn't make you racist, but what I'm saying is, is that, race is always present. It's always at the forefront. It's always part of our, how, just how we see, right? It's how we see, it's how we engage with each other. Um, Because again, our country was kind of built on the fact there was one group dominant above another. And it was purely based on the way that we looked, right? Like based on our race. So, but does does talking about it a lot right now, especially in what we're going through as a country, like do, for for my white friends, honestly, who have this icky feeling in their stomach, as if yeah, we are talking about too much and it needs to stop. Because I know that's I know people feel that way. Welcome to the party. Welcome to the conversation. Right. So, does it have to be a bad thing? No, that we're talking about it a lot right now. What What do you say to those people who have the icky feelings about it? Talk about it more. If you're trying to get stronger, you work out more, right? You You lift more weights. If you're trying to get better at something, you practice at it. And this is no different. You know, it takes continuing to have the conversation and continuing to listen and want to learn. That's what that's with any new thing, right? That that is uncomfortable for you uh, or for anyone. And I, I, I've heard you say a couple of times, Renee, you know, so to my white friends and to my, I, I'm not saying that we should pinpoint folks, right? And say, right. white people, you need to be, black people, da, da. in my opinion, we all need to be having these conversations. And mm-hmm. Again, just because it doesn't affect, like, for instance, what's going on with the Asian American community, right? And all of the violence and things that that is is taking place. That is an important conversation that we should all be having. That's right. And just because I'm not Asian doesn't mean I can't, you know, empathize with what's going on within that community. I, I can still, I can care. I can reach out to my, you know, my Asian friends and my colleagues and I can check on them and I can ask them, you know, is there anything that I can do to support you? But then I can also not put the, not put the burden on them. I can also do research and I can also, you know, do my own work to identify how can I, how can I support this community? How can I educate myself about this community as well? So it's, it's not always putting the burden on the, 
on the marginalized or the minoritized community. It's also what can what can you do, right? What's your own personal accountability or responsibility to be a good citizen of the world, right? And and try to try to help. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I think that's good that you said that, but I do think you're able to say that because you are a person of color, that it needs to be mm. everyone's conversation. I, I do think there's a segment of the white population who doesn't believe in this conversation. I really oh, do yeah. believe that's true. And I also would say, man, it's not 30 years ago anymore. All this information is at our right, fingertips. Right, right, right. If you have a computer and an internet connection, <laughs> right. you can find this information yourself. Like that maybe yeah. sounded a little too flippant, but it is, it's very true. It's all out there. Yeah. All of this history is out there now. It's not like you're relying on the textbook anymore. So it hit me hard when Jonah and Kisa talked about how they can't escape racism, that they live this life in America every day. As a mom, I have wept over this very thing for my boys. And to think that some Americans think race is talked about too much. Well, that's a hard pill to swallow as a mama. What if your child were being discriminated against for one reason or another? Wouldn't you want to shout that injustice from the rooftops? What would it look like if we all, regardless of race, worked hard to get rid of these racial injustices? Especially in the workplace, what if we were open to accepting everyone around us? What if we dropped our pride and dropped our drive to be at the top in our workplaces to make space for other people who are different than us? Imagine the trickle effect through our schools, through our churches, through our communities, through our homes. Maybe then, mothers of Black children would be able to stop weeping. So we we were talking about leadership earlier. So a 2019 Harvard Business School article states, according to a recent Nielsen survey, 64% of Black women in the United States agree their goal is to make it to the top of their profession. That's nearly double the percentage of non-Hispanic white women with the same goal. And yet, despite representing 18% of the U.S. population, women of color represented only 4% of C-level positions in 2018, falling far below white men at 68% and white women at 19%. Even graduating from a prestigious business or law school doesn't help much. Why do you think that there's a lack of diverse representation in most top leadership positions, even now in 2021? There's a ceiling. There is a layer um, of, again, bias and et cetera, that just doesn't let up, if you will, right? Today, as of 2021, there is one Black woman CEO of a Fortune 500 organization. It's not for, as you mentioned, lack of education or, you know, experience or intellect or any of those things, but, um, you know, oftentimes you will also see women, you know, Black women specifically leave the workforce for situations that I mentioned earlier, right? The burnout, the the lack of psychological safety in the workplace, the, you know, not feeling supported, not feeling like you're included, like you are part of the team, et cetera, um, which has also led to a boom of businesses, being created by Black women as well, right? So there, there have been some positives to that, right? It's, it's I think, forced a lot more people to venture into entrepreneurship, to, you know, test the waters, to leave toxic workplaces or what they consider to be toxic workplaces in order to find more sort of personal fulfillment. But at the same time, that is a 
pathway or road to uh, financial freedom and economic success that isn't the same for, you know, for black women. And, and that's rising to the top of a, of a major organization, you know, a Fortune 500 organization. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if, if that's something that's going to change anytime soon, because, I mean, to be quite frank, most of those positions are filled by men, right? White men. So you think kind of creating your own space or own company from the ground up would be more of the answer for someone, for a woman of color, a person of color to be in leadership or? Yeah, I don't know that I would say that's the answer because entrepreneurship isn't for everyone. So I don't know if I was going so far as to call it the answer, but it is it is a pathway, right? It is It is an opportunity to sort of step into your own lane to try to create generational wealth. Now, at the same time, though, it most most businesses um, fail, right, within the first five years. And then there's also the issue of funding. And, um, you know, Black businesses and Black business owners typically do not have the access to capital and funding and investors and things like that um, to, to fund their businesses. So there are all sorts of factors at play here. In the past year, we've, we have seen more organizations and companies uh, try to uh, do their part by creating funds and grant opportunities and things where they're actually investing um, into the, the Black community and creating opportunities for uh, you know, entrepreneurs to apply for these types of funds uh, and grants and things like that. So there are some opportunities where um, you know, some companies are trying to make amends, if you will, um, to create more equity. There's still more that can be done. Absolutely. Still more that can be done. And at the end of the day, people should be, regardless of their gender or, you know, ethnicity or race or whatever, they should be able to rise to top ranks within their organization if they're skilled and capable and intelligent and qualified and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But, but in the real world, we just know that it doesn't really work like that. Right. There's there's all sorts of other factors involved, including politics and other stuff we won't even need to get into. But, yeah, I, I do think the positive in that is the the entrepreneurship kind of boom that we're seeing right now, especially within the black community. Uh, real talk here. Do you think there's any chance that the election of Vice President Kamala Harris will make a difference in this discussion or do you think it's going to stay the same? That's a good question. I think it depends. I think it depends on how far she wants to go, she how far she wants to push in her role as the first um, woman vice president of this country. And then to a certain extent, that's probably only as far as the country is ready to go with her. You know, when we think about Barack Obama, right, being our first black president, he received a lot of criticism um, from pe- different people saying that he didn't do enough. Right. Like he didn't do enough for communities of color. And, you know, you people can argue that all day long. But something that I've heard him say and and his wife, Michelle, talk about is that they were really focused on trying to do the trying to be perfect. Right. Trying not to make any missteps or, you know, to give any ammunition for, you know, the people to say that he was a bad president, bad black president, if you will. Right. So in their effort to be perfect and to 
sort of walk this line, there were there were um, opportunities where they didn't go as far as a lot of people thought they could have or should have on different causes and issues. And then there are some people who would probably argue that they went further than they should have. Politics is kind of a messy, a messy thing. But as far as Kamala, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. It kind of goes back to like, how much can you do? I mean, yes, she has like the second highest office in the land, uh, but at the same time, there's Congress. So she has a ceiling is what you're saying. I mean, she says it's been shattered, you know, or cracked. I'd like to think so as well, especially from a, you know, a political perspective. But at the end of the day, it's still very much a, a male dominated society. So on last week's episode, we talked about Ursula Burns in our two minute story the only black female CEO of a Fortune 500 company in the list's 66 year history. That is until 2021. In January, Starbucks COO Rosalind Brewer was named the next CEO of Walgreens. In February, CEO of Chase Consumer Banking, Lucinda Brown Duckett was named CEO of another Fortune 500 company, TIAA. Here's to the strength, and as Raymond Green said on a recent episode, the untapped brilliance of black women and black girls. Let's keep making a difference in our country and in our world. If you didn't catch Miss Ursula Burns' story last week, go back and take a listen on part one of our interview with Jonah. A word I was just introduced to recently is epigenetics. And epigenetics suggests that traumatic experiences can be passed down to generations via our genes. In a 2019 BBC article, it was shared that sons and grandsons of POWs from 1864 had not suffered the hardships of trauma inflicted on the POW camps, but that suffered higher rates of mortality due to elements of trauma passed down to them. According to the adoptive families of British Columbia, epigenetic research has also shown that children can inherit more than genes of their parents. So knowing that epigenetics can possibly affect people of color color navigating our world, do you believe that trauma of this season of racial unrest has compounded that, especially in the workplace? Yes, yes, absolutely yes. The the work that I do, um, the equity work that I do, I always talk about wellness. And because I think they work hand in hand and and trauma is also kind of part of that, right? Because there's a certain trauma that's experienced when you talk about discrimination and bias and racism and sexism and all of that. And on on like both sides, right? There's there's experiences of, of trauma there. And it's important to acknowledge that trauma in order to heal and therefore create a more inclusive environment, right? On the on the concept of, of epigenetics. So when you think about when you think about black people in particular, and again, even though, you know, our generation, right, like we really, really far removed from being enslaved, our ancestors were, right? And I do believe that there is this generational trauma that has been passed down and that has manifested in many different ways. And I think if you even take it, bring it closer to home and you talk about individuals, right? So let's say, let's say your, your grandmother, for example, had a very uh, difficult and challenging life, right? Let's say, you know, back, back in those days, a lot of things were permissible, right? To take place in, in the home that aren't today, rightfully so. But um, that trauma is indeed passed down, especially if it's not dealt with. Right. So the you know, if, if your if your mother experienced trauma, let, let's say there was some abuse. Right. So let's say there was some abuse in the home um, with your mother. Right. If she never dealt with that abuse. She never healed from that abuse. 
which means that she lived her life out of that trauma, out of that abuse. She raised you or her children out of that abuse and out of that trauma. So then that trauma becomes yours and your experience, how, however you internalize it becomes yours. And it this cycle continues to, to go down the line unless it's addressed and healed in some sort of way. So something that I, I talk a lot about actually in my, my own practice is that I'm working on my own personal traumas and triggers now so that my daughter doesn't have to deal with them later. Right. Like I don't, I don't want her to have to slay giants that I never slayed because just because I didn't slay them. Right. Like I, I want to 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 not put that burden on her. So when we think about what happened in 2020 alone with all of the trauma, the collective grief, the collective trauma that we were all experiencing, compound that with just normal whatever you were going through. Right. Whatever whatever your life was about prior to March 15th, 2020, which, you know, for a lot of people wasn't all like, you know, roses. So there's just so much compounded grief and trauma that now in 2021, of course, things are opening back up now. So there's this sort of uh, sigh of relief that's happening. But for the most part, people are really still struggling. People are still traumatized from. 2020, from either losing their jobs, losing loved ones, being isolated, you know, the the mental health disparities and things that we're seeing, the suicide rates went up, the depression rate rates went up. I mean, people are really struggling mentally and emotionally. I absolutely believe that there's just been like this compounded trauma that has taken place. Epigenetics was a new concept to both of us really until researching for this episode. I learned that is the study of how certain genes are turned on or off. It is not the actual change in the sequence of someone's DNA. It actually changes the structure of your DNA. An August 2020 article on Healthline.com says this, Specifically, scientists who studied epigenetics have found that trauma experienced by parents can impact the DNA and behavior of their offspring for generations to come. One study conducted on worms found the residual effects of trauma lasted for 14 generations. For the Black community, the impact of centuries of unaddressed trauma still manifests today. And while part of that is certainly due to ongoing social injustice, some of the impact might very well be inherited. Basically, being Black in America means living with chronic post-traumatic stress disorder caused not only by one's lived experiences, but the experiences of our ancestors. Dr. Joy DeGroy asks, how does being Black in America impact your stress level? Therefore, your body's ability to operate its own immune system. Once you understand it, then you can deal with it. How, uh, what tools do you think for our listeners Um, What tools would you leave them with regarding how to navigate workspaces in the most healthy way uh, if they've had challenges in this area? So I, um, my community, the community that that I started is called Drink First Then Pour, and it is all about prioritizing self-care. But people often think of self-care as like a spa day or, you know, taking a vacation or whatever. That's not really self-care. I've reframed it. Self-care is about mindset. It's about the ability to 
prioritize yourself, to do things that are restorative for you. Yes, that could be a spa day, okay, but it could also be, do you know how to create boundaries? Do you know how to say no? Are you engaging in things or disengaging from things that are unproductive, that are unhealthy? That could be people, places, or things. So all of this is about self-care. So I have what I like to call the DRINK principle, um, and it's an acronym. So the D is for do less. Sometimes we are just doing too much. You know, there are there are times where, you know, we're, we're feeling good and we're in a groove and we can just kind of keep flowing. And that's a great lean into that. But then there are also times where our, our body, everything is telling us that we need to rest. We're physically, mentally, emotionally exhausted. We know we have nothing else to give. We know that we're on autopilot, right? Like give yourself the permission to do less. Um, so the R is for recognize who and what serves you to be your best self and who and what does not. Sometimes our family members and people that we love the most can be our biggest triggers, right? So just work to identify who and what you need to be your best and who and what you don't <laughs> need. And only you can answer that question. So the I is investigate, right? And In, investigate those behaviors um, or things that you may need to unplug from, right? So is it social media? Is it devices? Or is it toxic people from your life who drain and just drag you down, right? Like in, investigate what that is. S sit with it. Spend some time with it. In um, is no is a complete sentence. It is okay to say no. And period, like dot, no dot, right? We oftentimes want to give these elaborate explanations and go into all these details about why we can't do something because we normally do it. And we don't want people to think that sometimes just say no. And, and it's really hard. It is really hard for people to say no, especially women. Oh, especially women. I, I recommend because people are like, well, how do I how do I get comfortable doing it? Practice it. Just start saying no. <laughs> right. Like like your child or your spouse or whoever. Somebody asks you to no, And just let it sit and just let it sit for a second because they're going to be they're going to be so confused. Like, well, well, why? And then walk away and then walk away. It's not easy for us to do again, especially as women, because we like to, you know, wear our cape, our superwoman cape put our little mask on, not our N95 mask, but like our superhero mask. Take that off. Take it off. Take off the mask. Take off the cape. Listen, because over-hustling and burnout is not a badge of honor. Mm. It's not, ladies. It's not. Okay, so K is basically just knock it out, right? So rinse, repeat. Rinse, repeat. All that. So that is the that is the the drink principle um, you know, something that I live by, something that I talk to all my clients about. And really that that is a self-care mentality. It really is. Those boundaries, setting boundaries is so important. We let people just tap dance all over our boundaries. Just and then we wonder why we're always stressed and you know, and the rates of heart disease and stuff among women is high. You know, it's like we're we're stressed. And we're overworked and we're overwhelmed. And, you know, sometimes that's that's society. But oftentimes it's because we don't know how to create boundaries for ourselves and to say no. 
Man, this was this was therapy, Jonah. Yes. <laughs> L- listen, you're awesome. I just never. You're so awesome. I'm seriously sitting here. Oh, she's you. preaching to me, Kisa. What, both of us. Did you see me put my fingers in my ears? <laughs> I know you did. <laughs> the word "no" can be a complete sentence. We need to set boundaries. We hope you all were able to take a deep breath while listening to Jonah. Thank you, Jonah, for bringing this incredibly valuable tool to us and our listeners. That's good. What what a blessing. You have been such a blessing to us today. Thank you. Oh, thank you. This was a great conversation. Thank you for um, inviting me. Gosh, guys, such a big thank you to our guest, Jonah Joyner, for the last two weeks. Wasn't she awesome? Be sure to go to her website, jonahjoyner.com, to find all the things you need to know about her, her social media platforms, information about her organization, Drink First, Then Pour, and even how to have her as a speaker at your next event. Just thanks again, Jonah. We loved having you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Two Mamas and a Mustard Seed. Remember to be humble, be kind, be courageous, and be good listeners. Two Mamas and a Mustard Seed is written and produced by Kisa Holke and myself. Music is licensed through musicbed.com. Learn more about us, hear more episodes, and send us your questions and comments at two mamas and a mustard seed. Walking on sunshine, all my troubles melt away. It's perfect weather, it can't get better. It's just another sunny day.